Hey everybody, I hope you and your loved ones are safe, happy and healthy. Before you listen to or watch the show, remember to subscribe and follow the Mortgage Broker Club on Facebook and LinkedIn to stay up to date with all the latest news and updates. Please note we are not a mortgage broker and do not lend money directly to clients. Remember a mortgage and or borrowing secured against your home or property can be repossessed if you do not keep up the mortgage repayments. The content of this show is for information purposes only and is not to be relied upon. Stay well and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the MLC show for property professionals. I'm your host, Sean Rogers, and I am delighted to be joined on today's show by Jamie Pritchard, the Director of Sales at Glenhawk. Glenhawk provides short-term property finance with a strong capital base to lend, whether you're looking to acquire a new property, unlock equity in a current property, or initiate in a property investment or refurbishment. Glenhawk specialises in second charge, commercial, refurbishments, and residential lending, and work with intermediaries nationwide. Jamie joined Glenhawk from Precise Mortgages in 2020, after nearly seven years at Precise, with the last five as head of sales. During that time, Jamie led a team of 15 sales managers where he oversaw 2.8 billion of mortgage originations in 2019. Recognition of his success came in 2020, winning Best Head of Sales at the prestigious British Specialist Lending Awards. He previously worked at Principality Building Society, where Jamie was Business Development Manager and also Interim Head of Intermediary Sales. On today's show, we're going to be picking Jamie's brains on the short-term property finance market and learning more about his experience in the property sector. Jamie, that is some resume and some intro. Um, <laughs> how are you, mate, and how are things? I'm very good. You just made me feel old, Sean, but uh, yeah, I thought I was 20 about two minutes ago, but uh, obviously not. No, it's absolute pleasure to be with you today speaking to you, Sean. As oh, I was trying to make you blush, not make you feel old. <laughs> no, so, you'll have to go a long way to make you blush. Looking back at your time at Precise in particular, um, firstly, how would you look back at, at your time there? Just with extreme pride, actually. Um, I got the opportunity to work with Roger and the team there, you know, like I said, seven odd years ago. And um, it's just extreme pride of what we all built together because nothing comes from one person, all from team. So the vision of that company and everything that we did. And I got the opportunity to build a team. Um, you said up to 15, and there was a few of us in that time as well. So I think we had a sales team at the peak at about 20, 21 of us. Um, just the myriad of different products that we launched as well. That was really in the time as well, um, going back five years ago when Buy to Let and Limited Company was just really coming to its fore because of the tax changes that had happened in the market. And we really jumped on that which really leads me to the next part, really, about increasing the distribution, increasing the numbers. The numbers come just from all the hard work and effort that everybody in that organisation put in and just really putting specialist lending on the map, really. And I think that as the whole team did that, that was what it was. So just extreme pride in my time there. And in the role in terms of working with intermediaries and, and obviously the, the various roles that you had where you're having them kind of relationships, what did you learn or what did you experience in terms of meeting their needs there that you think you can tr transfer over to Glenhawk? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, I don't think this is a hard job in any way, but, you know, I've always said that in interviews and all those things, and I'd always tell people, what, what I mean by not being hard is that it's, you know, the two things on the side of my head is listen, listen to brokers, ask the right questions, and actually listen to what they want, listen to what their customer wants. So I love listening to intermediaries and what's actually their customers wanting type of products, service as well, and really, really considering what broker and customer journey is along the way. And I think that as soon as you think that you've got the perfect process and the perfect lender and the perfect product, then you've got to rip it up and start again because there's no such thing. There's always going to be something, whether that be complaints, whether that be just feedback, whether that be from the intermediary or the customer themselves, which allow you to keep on doing those marginal gains and improving processes. So that's what I do. I love I love spending time with intermediaries and just really talking to them, which is why I'm really looking forward to building the distribution here with Glenhawk again. And what was it particularly about Glenhawk that sparked your interest in, in wanting to join them? Well, I was, I was lucky, I suppose I was lucky enough to have a few people wanting to speak to me at the time, whether they wanted to just find out why left uh, precise or whether it was just that um, you know, they were interested in getting me for the next level of their journey. And as soon as I spoke to Nick Hilton and Guy Harrington, the two founders of Glenhawk, unfortunately for all the other lenders, it was game over because their vision, um, what they actually brought from their experience to the table, because I think that you've always got to take a job that 30% scares you at least. And what I mean by that is that I've 30% want to learn. So I wanted to learn from Nick's commercial mindset. Amazing. The entrepreneurial spirit of Guy. And just where they had done for building up a lender from scratch um, in a saturated market as well and bringing on funders like JP Morgan and just entered into regulated bridging as well. All these products and where they want to take their product proposition and not just become another bridging lender, becoming a massive specialist lender. We're bridging at its core, but with another lot of products which can actually serve the customers themselves. So as soon as I spoke to those two, it was them. But then as soon as I've seen the team and spoke to the team, that was when it was before, yeah, this is the right place for me. And never since the day that I agreed to join and I have my one month off instead of six months, which I promised me and my wife. Um, that was when I've never changed my view since. I've always been excited by it day by day. So definitely a good fit. And over the last three to six months, what spikes or trends have you seen in the market, positive or negative? Now, that is, um, I think, one of the most interesting questions because, um, obviously, as everybody knows, who will be watching and listening to this, we've had a little thing called a pandemic that has affected the world. Um, good to actually have one of these talks about a mask on as well, to be fair, Sean. That's, that's good. But I think the bridging cases that have been successful in the pandemic have um, this in common. Simple for, in my mind, how I think of it. The lender, the broker and the customer entered into those arrangements with a clear view of the entire process, strategy, and exit. So to answer your question, what have I seen? I've seen a lot of market activity. And if we want to go, I want to go in sort of two different directions for this. I could talk about the different dynamics of products that people are taking out. So there's a lot of commercial activity. So some people are saying that there's a death of the high street. I don't agree. I think that I, the high street is evolving, whether that be in certain pockets where there's smaller businesses. And maybe that's the values of people changing that they want to go and support these little businesses. So whether they be bistros, cafes, pubs, little shops that are setting up that I hope will um, continue, then bridging has been used for that. So lots of things on the high street, whether that be mixed commercial, 
and things just changing. There's obviously last year, well, not obvious for some listeners, but there was changes in the um, permitted development rights as well, which allowed more um, flexibility in what you could refurbish between classes. So whether that be a commercial unit that had been derelict and you want to change that into a residential, then we've seen a lot of these properties actually change. So where one business may fail or the asset itself may fail, somebody else has seen the opportunity to convert that into something else. So we're seeing a lot of that. Now, the major one that I should be picking up on when it comes to products is regulated bridging. A lot more lenders enter this market for one reason. There is absolutely a demand for this type of bridging. We've got stamp duty at the moment, which will be coming off the first cliff edge again. Well, we already had a cliff edge, which was extended to the end of June. And there's a lot of these chain break scenarios where the customers actually want to get that asset. They don't want to rely on the chain, which could fall down at any stage of it. So regulated bridging has really kicked off around the industry massively. But And you've still got your landlords looking at opportunities for that. Now, to answer the question in a slightly different way as well, what do I see the opportunities in the market and what have I seen the trends in the last three, six months is that I've seen a lot more liquidity in the market. Now, what I mean for that is that pricing is quite topical at the moment. And the reason that pricing is quite topical because there is a lot more liquidity and funders looking to support lenders um, like Glenhawk, whether that be institutional funding, easy for me to say, institutional funding like JP Morgan or um, Deloitte or anybody else that's out there, uh, Goldman Sachs, that could help out with that. Um, we're finding that bridging has performed really well over the last year. And one of the things that attracts them is because they probably haven't had the payment holidays at some of the buy-to-let lenders that uh, suffered from last year. And if you're a non-bank lender, unfortunately, some of them did really suffer at the hands of those. So I think that bridging as well has been seen as a really good area to actually fund in. So that has been one of the topics over the last three, six months, is that how far is that going to drive down pricing? Um, what that actually means is that bridging has actually, in the main, become less complex and what I mean by that is that actually I, f- I think a lot of bridging is actually short-term funded. And that's not me trying to relabel it. I mean, the old complex real bridging deals that are still done out there, um, maybe because of those funders coming in, will have covenants that mean we do not want to go to that complexity, but we want to do more vanilla type of lending out there. So long answer, but loads of different directions that we could take this market in, really. No, I love that. And coming back to you talk about masks, I think there'll be a lot of people wishing that I had a mask either. So A, they couldn't see me, or B, I'd shut <laughs> up for once. Um, Glenhawk offer a range of uh, property finance solutions, and I was interested in getting your views. I mean, I know rates are subject to change, of course, and they're probably best staying away from, but could you tell us about the short-term property finance solutions that Glenhawk offer? Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, I'll let you and the, all the listeners into a secret, which um, some have heard me say before, but I've never met one person that ever wants to take out bridging finance, not one. But I've also not met anybody that wants to have a mortgage, but it becomes the norm that you want one of those things. What's, what actually is the norm is the asset that you want to buy and what's actually your business plan is. And that's why there's 166 lenders and counting in bridging at the moment. So it's not actually the product. It's what you're finding as a solution. So we offer lots of solutions for customers along the way. And whether that be sort of a headline, we can do residentials, um, bread and butter, whether that be a buy-to-let, whether that be a smaller HMO. We can do larger HMOs under a commercial range as well. We're very competitive when it comes to the commercial and what we allow. 
Uh, mixed commercial is a great way, but also refurbishments. We've got some good things coming up with our refurbishment range, which I won't share now, but I'll just sort of entice you that we can do even more going forward. Our refurbishments there can actually be for either commercial into residential. It can be just obviously a residential derelict that's being done up, but we can actually lend up to on uh, unregulated bridging up to 65% of the GDV, the loan to GDV of that as well. So you can actually have 100% of your costs um, provided to you and in, in arrears and actually allow you to build that property and maximise the yield or maximise the value of that property, whatever your exit may be. So lots of solutions. Plus, I also mentioned previously that we've entered into, within the last six months, regulated bridging, and that is really, really doing well. The way that I'm doing that is not trying to compete on price, although the price of the product is good. I'm trying to give those solutions to customers who may be wanting to buy that home that they want to live in that may need a bit of refurbishment itself or maybe a lot of refurbishment. So our regulated product will allow you to change a property, whether that be under permitted development or even if it's got planning already permitted on that property itself. So it's not just trying to be the same as other lenders. My goal, as I was speaking to Guy, our founder, the other day was just about trying to make Glenhawk even better, every day even better. And that's exploring all of these different commercial opportunities that we got with new products. Thanks. And uh, Glenn Hall, how, how would you go about pricing a deal? And also, I think what would be a benefit to people is what information do you need at the onset to enable you to do that? Yes, that's a great question, Sean. So um, each lender does it differently as well. So some lenders will have rate cards and some lenders, when I'm talking about unregulated, will you know, give a terms out on the back of a fag packet, dare I say, you know, but we actually want to make sure that we're pricing that deal right at the start correctly and making sure that we don't change that price throughout the deal. So nothing that should come up that would make us try and put a few more bips on that deal. So in my mind, myself and um, our managing director, Nick Hilton, are the two people who price the deals right at the outset. And we look at the asset, the client, the purpose and the general commerciality of that deal. So making sure that the exit's right. We don't want to get people stuck onto bridges. We want to make sure that exit is right. So giving us a bit more detail right at the start, as I say, and some brokers may say, well, you really want the A&Ls and you want the net wealth position of the customer. And I'll say, absolutely, I do. And the reason is, is that A, I expect you to have it. So you know you're placing it with the right lender. But B, I want to price it accordingly. Now, if you don't give me all those things, then I may actually give you a higher price than the one that I would actually be right for the customer. So a bit more detail at the start makes it quicker later on, in my view. So, yeah, strong, strong pricing structure right at the start for me and Nick. And in practical terms, what are the most common problems that you solve for clients? I'm really interested in this. You know, if I'm an intermediary, say, listening to this and a client approaches me with a problem, when should I think Glenork may be able to solve that problem? You know, I'll get in touch with Glenork, I'll get in touch with Jamie, I'll get in touch with the team. Let's approach this from two angles as well then. So like I do, I, you know, um, let's think of it from the intermediary's point of view, first of all. So why should they consider bridging? They're so snowed under with buy-to-let and residential first charge cases. Um, I think if anything's shown us with the COVID and the pandemic is that we need to diversify, you know, how many of us yearn for that night out now and how many of us yearn to actually diversify what we've been doing even in our home lives. Same with work. You can't pick and choose the cases that are really in front of you or the type of customer that you may want a lot of the time. So that customer comes to you with that need and you're going to be able to present them 
with a solution. And that solution, first time and not last chance saloon, should and could be bridging. Now, we provide excellent solutions. And, you know, it's probably the best time to show you some the case studies that we we do along the way in that sense, you know, rather than to bring it back alive. But some of the solutions that we can provide, like somebody that needs to buy from an auction and needs to buy quick, they can rely on the service that Glenhawk provide and be the usual way with these things is they usually go to their broker and said, I bought something at auction last week, you know, or 10 days ago. And they've only got 28 days to do that. So the speed that we can perform, and that could be potentially through joint representation as well, that we could actually do that deal quickly for them, can give them that asset in time so they don't lose their 10% deposit on those deals. Other things that I'm seeing at the moment is the way you've got that refurbishment. So you buy the property that may be worth, say, £600,000. You know that you want to do maybe £100,000, £150,000 worth of work to that property. And actually, the value of that property, the GDV, will be uh, £1 million. They can lend against that and actually convert that property. I've seen a lot of the times in the HMO. But this is, again, the solutions that your brokers will be providing. And we will remind the brokers about to check whether there's the licensing requirements on that type of HMO whether they know it's in an Article 4 area, all that information just to go back to the customers. So your broker, which they will be a lot of the time, will be armed with as much information to provide the best solutions back to the clients themselves. So I think there's there's, there's lots of solutions. You know, we could go through lots of different case studies that we could perform. Um, I did a regulated case not long back, which was um, slightly out of the norm that nothing that I would have done in previous lenders that I've been, where it was actually a doctor's, a commercial unit at the moment, but it had permission to change it into residential properties up in Scotland. And um, we lent on that on a regulated basis. Now, we lent on that because it had the change of use already in place. It was going to be then regulated and they were going to actually have to do some of the conversions to split it up into three flats. And we allowed it then to actually be split up into the titles that it would be, and the few whole titles. And actually, they could sell the other two properties and pay off the regulated loan themselves. That is not vanilla regulated bridging, but that shows you some of the deals that we can actually help out and provide solutions with the, for the customers. That is not a term deal because A, it won't fit on it because it's a mixture of, it's a commercial now with not the buy to let and residential. Plus the customer doesn't want a term mortgage at the end. They want to be mortgage free. Bridging is the right solution for the customer in that uh, regard. Yeah, that's that's quirky for want of a better phrase. And, yeah. uh, especially with it you know, being up in Scotland as well you know yeah well yeah. scotland's a definitely a great market that um has been underserved by specialists over the years so um, a lot more specialists going up there at the moment uh we do england and wales but scotland's we have been looking at edinburgh and glasgow postcodes but that's not to say that if there's anywhere else um that's middle in the built-up areas or commuter towns or cities there i have lent up there as well so Perth was an example of somewhere I lent last week so just need to run those cases past us but bridging is quirky um, even though I say it's vanilla but it's not for everybody's but I think the major part I would say is it's about the education and it's the education so we get, went and said earlier that actually, you know, lots of people, no one wants to buy to let a residential mortgage, but everyone actually is now feels it's the norm that I want to buy that asset to live in. I need a residential loan with high street lender. The broker knows that. The customer knows that. Now, if you've got the same regard and say, I think this is a bridging loan, if you're not even selling that to the customer said, I've heard that's, I don't know, expensive. I've heard that's whatever one of these myths that I need to burst is, how is the customer going to take that? But if you can actually say to the customer, this is the right solution for you, 
It's short-term funding. It's bridging that will give you exactly what you want at the end. And basically, basically this as well. If it's unregulated and you're actually going to maximize the asset or maximize the yield, then it's a business expense as well. And it doesn't need to be expensive. There's loads of myths that I can bust all the way through when it comes to pitching. Yeah, I mean, knowledge is power, isn't it? And I suppose it's, it's so many, it's such a complex area. I think, you know, if I was listening to it, probably one of the benefits would be the ability to not necessarily need to worry about knowing everything about that because in essence that's what you're there for as long as i know you know a little bit about it i can reach out to you know yourselves in essence and plug any of them knowledge gaps particularly in any bizarre circumstances that 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 land on my desk if you will Um, there's good examples of that sean which we've got myself and nick have done where actually it's a complex deal there's a complex deal that needs to be split over several titles and we need to put that into separate spvs and limited companies and and that would be something that's particular to maybe glenhawk on a certain deal well guess what we can actually speak to your customers with you and guide them through and talk to them about it so we're very much at the forefront we don't hide behind anything we'll actually talk to the brokers customers and guess what we don't know everything as well so we're always developing products back to one of your earlier questions which are linked around well that seems to be a new area maybe we need to uh, get some new funding build a product around that and we've got the excellent christy cook who's come over to head up products just to do that at this time as well so yeah we'll always talk to all customers and brokers we'll educate each other i always like to try and play devil's advocate on this so you know if there is room full of intermediaries you know if you if you will they'll have their own habits their own relationships their own partners and they'll be extremely keen priority plan a is to make sure that their clients are getting the best service and the best deal the best terms but if they were to think about um changing those habits or moving over to glenhawk you know imagine you're at a big conference or something what would it be that you would say as to why they should consider doing that yeah i think it's a really good question in the saturated market it is and hopefully you know a lot of those brokers will know me you know but it's actually that trust again so it's it's try us out you know and actually what you'll find from a lot of us and we've done it close to the stamp duty deadlines we sit here today on the 23rd of june if i've got a deal that needs to complete by the end of june now i'll actually tell them don't put it with us today because if that is absolutely need to go today by the end of the month then I can't guarantee that. Yeah, no one can guarantee that. So I'd rather rescue the relationship. So a lot of brokers, if they know me or don't know me, it'll be based on that relationship and that trust that what you see is what you get. And I can actually guide you through. I've never criteria dumped on anybody. I'd rather tell them about case scenarios where I could help add incremental value to their business. So I'd also implore them to speak to the other bridging lenders as well. And where I'm not in competition with them. The only thing that I compete for is to make Glenhawk better and increase our distribution. So that trust and that humility and that want just to work with intermediaries, my experience, if that means anything for them, about why I've come across here, hopefully that should just give me the chance to have one go to build up that relationship. And when people in in instruct Glenhawk, Jamie, uh, particularly intermediaries who are referring business across, but even generally, what can people do? do to help increase the turnaround time on decisions and completion you know that'd be handy for intermediaries to know even to pass on to their clients as an example in terms of any tips to you know as i say accelerate turnaround time decisions completion etc that is a great question and it's multifaceted again because it'll go across i 
Uh, anybody who's heard me speak before will know that here he comes again talking about the customer journey. So it's every it's different parts of different stage which can actually really speed up the process. So the first thing that a uh, broker will be doing with their customers before even Glen Hawk uh, involved is to really understand what that customer wants. So we've mentioned before, if speed's the important thing, then speed's the important thing. If it's actually securing that asset, um, but in the cheapest way, then that's something different than that. So it's actually understanding what their business needs are. And then really understanding everything about that customer. So finding out about their income, their net wealth, their AL position, actually finding out about the purpose, their business plan, the goals forward, even finding out what their exit and uh, contingent exits are right at the outset. And then speaking to the BDMs. So there's some excellent BDMs in this market. And I've got a massively great team here, which I'm proud of already at Glenhawk, which I'm expanding soon. So watch out for that um, up into the north. So it's actually talking to those BDs and talking through that inquiry and seeing whether it fits or not. And by giving us much information at the start, you think that would surely slow down the process. It won't. It'll quicken up. So if we know everything and actually get credit approval on that one bit that you want to show us, then that's great. You know, as an analogy, I always think that sometimes don't think that you can hide things away. Think of your case and your inquiry in a greenhouse because when it gets to underwriting, we'll be able to see every which way but loose at that from every angle. So let's make sure that we know every angle right at the start and make sure we know when you want to complete by, and then we can guide it through. The second bit to that is having their pack available so you know the documents, you'll know that they're on hand to sign everything, you know that you can speak to the underwriter so everybody can be spoken to here at Glenhawk. So that'll quicken up the process itself. And thirdly, I think it's down to knowing. Um, the valuers, you know, and really making sure that we know what the asset is and we can get those valuers um, instructed early. And also then the solicitors. Now, conveyances is a key part. Now, sometimes people go, it won't surprise you, Sean, for the cheapest option. Now, the cheap doesn't mean the best. Cheap, remember, we went back to the start and your customer wanted speed. And maybe it was a complex deal, so they knew it's going to be complex. I actually had a broker yesterday asking me, Probably for the first time, the most deepest questions they've asked about conveyances, which I thought was brilliant. Could you not just tell me which solicitors we're going to be using for this, but could you tell me the level of experience that that particular solicitor has got and their experience on these type of deals? I thought that was excellent because they're choosing the right conveyance and lawyer for them right at the outset. The lawyer who you use for your residential bridging loan with a high street lender is not always the right one to use on a bridging finance deal with a commercial split titles and you name it on there. So all of those things probably will save you a few days each altogether. I mean, you've got a quicker, um, quicker bridge and also a happy customer. Yeah, 100% agree with, agree with all of that. And, and as you say, it's, that is a complete minefield sometimes, you know, we happen to go into them areas, you know, I know we, we deal directly, I can't name them, but, you know, we deal with some, let's say, extremely big hitters um, that are on most of the panels, but it's interesting that it's not a, a coincidence that they're quite open and transparent, actually, about capacity levels. So yeah. we spoke to someone yesterday um, where we've had great feedback on on commercial um legal work going through and they've said listen we need two weeks off we've got various solicitors that de- are in desperate need of a break we've not allowed them to have anything any because of the gap in the market and therefore we need some patience now a lot of firms just wouldn't communicate with you in that way yeah 
and then you'd put the work in and then you'd hit that backlog or hit that problem and no one would know. And and yet you do need to know which of the more corporate firms, if you will, A, are on the panels and B, have that kind of experience and expertise, but also, you know, but for yourself as well, Jamie, there's that additional leverage in that, I hate to say it, but if you do a bad job for one person, some firms, they won't, but always in the back of your mind is, well, it's a bad job for one person. If you at Glenhawk have a bad experience, you're not going to forget that for the next hundred people that come to you with that recommendation. So I'd, even though no one will admit it, I do think legally that that in the legal market, that bit of leverage does play play a role. So it's huge to place, and each case you'd expect me to say is as important to each other one, but I think it goes deeper than that because you'd expect that from a lender. But I I, I take it quite personally if there's a problem. I really always done. And that's going right back to the start of what I've learned in past experiences that it allows me to increase the process. So, you know, there, there's, there's times, guess what? No lender is perfect. So actually anything that you learn, as long as you improve a process by it, then it's been actually a positive experience. But I think what we've got here at our underwriting team are exceptional at Glenhawk, absolutely exceptional for the type of bridging that they're experienced in, is that they'll go the extra mile to try and push things through as well, or actually talk to the folk and say if it's not possible, but looking at different options that could be possible for them as well. That is one of the things that I'm most proud of um, when we're looking at that customer journey at Glenhawk. And I cannot let you go um, without trying to make you blush again and mentioning the British Specialist Lending Awards 2021. Um, Jamie, you've been nominated for Head of Sales. I was reading that Amy Wareham is nominated yeah. for Underwriter of the Year. Peter Turner is nominated in the Business Development category. And I believe Nick Hilton is nominated in the Business Leader uh, Bridging Lender category. Now, that's some recognition for Glenoch, to be fair. And the guy, especially if he's listening, might need to get you all, I don't know, a bigger cabinet in the office or mantelpiece or something, <laughs> potentially, for all those awards. Um, well, congratulations on being nominated. But what I really want to know is, uh, my understanding is that the final phase of the process is for you to go through a 15-minute interview with, uh, let me quote this, a respected industry panel. Now, to me, that sounds quite scary. Um, <laughs> so seeing as you won it last year, you have to have nailed that. Um, firstly, what was the interview like? And secondly, in my mind, this is like Claude Littner and Linda Plant <laughs> you in the BBC Apprentice interview. So what was it like? And is it like Claude in The Apprentice? It can be. Uh, yeah, it can be. And by the way, thank you for recognition. The, the other three that you mentioned, Amy, uh, Pete and Nick, they totally deserve to be nominated. You know, Amy is just part, one part of that amazing underwriter team. So we've got Tom, Ruth, uh, Ruby, other guys who are amazing in that, just happened to be that Amy was nominated this time. And Pete is just an exceptional BDM, if anybody wants to speak to him. Now, not putting off the, the topic, I'm actually sometimes the person who does the interview as well. And I, and I enjoy that part. So I probably knew what was coming, but it wouldn't surprise anybody that's listening to this that I do like talking as well. And I think I just came from it last year and it was quite, I actually remember it, it was quite an odd interview because it was one of those moments where it was like, I don't actually really want to be nominated for an award and getting an award at a time when there's a world going through a pandemic. I felt actually quite embarrassed about it. So I was quite open when I was talking to them, but I actually just went back through some of the areas that I loved doing over the last year, because it is about the last year, you know, and everything that you've achieved. And that was the opportunity that COVID provided me and provided lots of different head of sales was actually to make sure that they're 
the team that was around them were mentally sound. We were going into something that we'd never experienced before. I had a field-based team that were now off the road and some of them living on their own. So making sure that we had those habits and making sure that they were okay and able to actually now sell in a different way and relationship manage off the road actually gave me an opportunity in a perverse way. So it was those bits that I was sort of said to the um, to the Claude Littners of the of the uh, of the world, but uh, it obviously came out good. The uh, I got the award in the end. But I do stand stand by that that you know it was lovely to have the award and everything that came with it. But that was my team that won that. You know, it was nothing to do with me because without having that team, how could I even a it be in the position of head of sales? But how could I be seen as a good head of sales? The reason they thought I was a good head of sales is because how well my team had performed. It, I mean, obviously, we all would rather the pandemic, COVID, everything, of course, goes out saying we'd rather that not have happened. Um, in terms of you building that team, just to ask another question on what you were just referencing earlier, do you think, I don't want to use the word opportunity, I think that's the wrong word, based on the circumstances you were faced with, did that actually force you in a way into building probably a tighter bond with your team or maybe more of a rapport, you know, your knew in that role and maybe had they been in the field it may have been business as usual if you see you see where I'm coming from from this but obviously no one's had it you haven't had a choice other than to address various business circumstances but you've taken that a step further which I love to go well actually we actually also need to look after the the mental side of this for everyone their state supporting people which you know a lot of business maybe wouldn't have done that had it not been for the circumstances that everyone was facing? The, that, that is possibly, you know, and I'll answer it, the, the one that would make me blush, weirdly, the, the one because now I've got to talk about what the team and how we got closer together. I suppose the, the one bit from the last place that I would most miss, you know, and I knew that I'd miss, but I had to drive myself forward to the next opportunity, which I, you know, love, is the team. And we were always close, you know. They knew that anything that I expected them to do that they knew I would do tenfold as well. So I think that's the way that you've got to do it. And everyone that knows me, um, my team and this new team, that, and it's all building that trust and just having a really good time and being close in that sense. Know that I hate the word boss. I hate the word manager. Hate it. So all my old team used to call me boss all the time. You know, that's probably my nickname to my face. Um, but I th- do, do think it made us closer. I do. I think th- those things that we did every day made them stronger made me stronger, made us, it wasn't just chats every day, but I made sure, and I still do here, that we talk all the time. And even though we're going back on the road, those are educational snippet sessions that you can do. And actually from that, you actually see how people are. So those bonds that you have with work, I think right through this industry, have been massive. And that yearning to go out and see the other people that you have bonds with, the intermediaries and customers alike, has just been massive. There's a massive flow of people wanting now to go out safely and see people. Brilliant words and thank you so much. And that's it for this week, everyone. Thank you, Jamie, for being such a fantastic guest and thank you for listening. If you want any further information on Glenhawk, please check out their website um, in the links below. I would definitely recommend following Jamie on LinkedIn for more news and updates. Please share and spread the word about the MLC Show for Property Professionals. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please hit us with a five-star review. But more importantly, please stay well and take care.